0: Thanks for joining us today for the Ramp Church podcast. We pray that you will be uplifted, empowered, and revived by this week's message. If you'd like to know more about Ramp Church Manchester, or would like to partner with us in giving, visit us over on our website ramp.church/mcr, or find us on social media. Now let's get into this week's message. Today I'm going to talk about transition. Transition, change. You know, there's, If there's anything in our lives, in the world, that all of us have in common, it is transition. Can I get a witness? We've all been locked up in our houses for months and months and months, uh, staring at whoever's in your house, your housemates, maybe the mirror, maybe your family. And we're now kind of on this re-entry journey. And a lot of people think about, when they think about transition, they think of like waiting rooms. Recently we did an international travel. And so I just love how airports make you arrive three hours before your flight. And you wait. You spend a lot of time waiting. But I found transition is a lot less waiting room and a lot more re-entry. And what I mean by re-entry is if we had been floating in outer space and we were re-entering into the Earth's atmosphere, that kind of re-entry. Have you ever seen videos of what that looks like when they re-enter? First of all, whatever craft they're traveling in is basically on fire. And as it re-enters the Earth's atmosphere on the inside, they're strapped and, and they're shaking like this. As they re-enter, that's to me more where we're at. The transition we're in is re-entering into a a new atmosphere. We've been to Earth before. Remember that? Remember that? You remember February 2020? I know. I know it's a decade ago, but do you remember that? That was Earth, and then we left. I'm not sure where we went. All of us went to different planets. I, I know because I saw some of the planet you were living on on Zoom. And I'm not sure what planet that was, but we're now re-entering the Earth's atmosphere and it's a bit shaky, it's a bit hot, I'm sweating and I'm not really sure what I'm going to find when I arrive. We're in a season of transition, we're in a season of change. And that's a, that's, that can be a volatile season, it can be a disorienting season, it can be a confusing season. Um, probably for me, my personality, the, the word that describes that season for me is frustrating. I'm just frustrated, I'm just angry, I don't know why. Like that shouldn't even make me angry, but I get angry at that. Um, And so Stacy has recently mentioned to me, I feel like you're becoming a cantankerous old man. Like I'm not sure, I'm not sure. Like I'm just standing in line waiting. We were were doing some train travel um, this week and um, I I booked my tickets on the app because yes, I want to do things easy right and I show up at the airport and I look at my confirmation it says please go to the machine and print your ticket out well I was frustrated I'm standing the machine I'm like what what decade are we in that's what I told her what decade am I in why can't I just show him my phone she was like you're a cantankerous old man right now like this shouldn't annoy you this shouldn't aggravate you what's happening I'm in reentry it's like normal things are just like frustrating to me am I the only one You guys are making me feel unusual up here. (laughs) I know I'm strange, but maybe not that strange. Maybe not that strange. Don't let the American accent fool you. We are similar in some ways, okay? So in seasons like that, I'm looking for an example. I'm looking for who's been here before, who's done this before. And the story of Paul, the Apostle Paul, specifically in Acts Chapter number nine, which we're gonna read, came to mind. And so I wanna read that story, and this story is, is amazing. He's in a huge, like massive transition in his life. He's transitioning in his uh, physical location, his ge- geographical location. He's, he's trans- transitioning in his career. He's transitioning in his friend group. He's transitioning in his own identity. He's seeing himself in new ways. He's transitioning in his faith system. The whole way he sees the world and understands God and understands ultimate reality. And, and the, the way he furnishes in his imagination the world around him and what's important and what's, what should be a priority. Those furnishings are completely changing. He's re-entering the earth's atmosphere and what he's finding is a different earth than he left. And that's much of what we're finding. Anybody finding that is we're entering a new normal. It's the same place, but it feels a bit different. And even in this setting, in this environment, um, church, church family, one of my goals today is just give you permission. Give you permission to, to, to feel weird about it. <laughs> give you permission to feel a bit awkward about the re-entry process. Give you permission to have to like, put on the seat belt more days than you normally would have to. Give yourself a little grace to get annoyed that you have to print out a paper ticket. I'm not going to be there always, but I'm in re-entry and I'm going to give myself a little grace and Stacy is too by making light of it instead of reprimanding me, right? I mean, we're, we're giving ourselves grace. So that's one of my goals says give you permission. And my second goal is this. My second goal is to give you clarity and language for perhaps the particular stage of transition you're in we're going to talk about uh, what's called a transition bridge which is used by um, different organizations i'm going to take the one from what's called train international i'll tell you more about them in a bit and so hopefully you can identify what, what stage of transition you're in and then the third thing is this i want i want your eyes to be open to see the god who's in every stage of transition The God who walked through transition transition himself and who's with you. Amen? Anybody up for that? Can I just pray? I know we prayed a lot in worship, but I just want to pray right before I open the word of God. Father, we don't want to do anything outside of your design and your will today. And our hearts and our minds are open. If, If that's you, if you say, my hearts and minds, just say that out of your mouth. My heart and mind is open today, Jesus. And I want to hear your truth, in Jesus' name, Amen. So let's turn to Acts chapter number nine. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. Um, if you have an app, you can click. And um, if you have neither, you can just listen, because I'm going to read through this. If uh, it'd be good on your own to read through verses one through thirty-one, but so we're not here for the next four hours. I'm going to just kind of pick and choose uh, some verses through here. And what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to narrate some of these verses. I'm going to commentate on it. Is that okay? And there's a couple reasons I'm going to do that. Number one, the story is amazing. Number two, I want you to even get your own personal reading time in mind. So as I commentate, you can even picture yourself. Where do you read the word on your own? And then this is a great way to commentate yourself. I'm a full believer we should never read the word alone. Even when I'm reading alone, I have other voices, books, commentaries that are helping me understand the word. So I'm going to do that for you, and then I'm going to move on to some specific teaching about transition. So Acts chapter 9, starting in um, verse number 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Let me give you a bit bit of a backstory. Saul here um, is the same dude as Paul. Okay, so same dude, and he is, you you probably, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you probably heard the name Paul before, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He was uh, a leader in the early church, he was a preacher, he was a teacher, he was a theologian, and historically, even from a historical perspective, uh, the dude changed history. Uh, He was a brilliant mind. And so, but before this story, this chapter was the turning point in Paul's life. Before he did all those things I just mentioned, he was killing people. Not sure how your day started. Paul was killing people. He was like a religious zealot. He was Jewish and his life mission was to purge Israel... The people of Israel, the Jewish people, of everything that he felt like that, that made them unclean. Everything that made Israel and the Jewish people a people who they should not be. That was his life mission. And he didn't just protest them. He, he imprisoned them and he killed them. So that's who Paul is. So, meanwhile, Saul is still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest, who was like the head dude over their religious system, and asked for letters to the synagogues or the churches, the Jewish churches in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, that's a pretty cool word, the way, he's talking about Christians. Because back then, in this time, there was no, like, Christianity. I know we're here at uh, Ramp Church, but... There was just Jewish people, and there were people who had experienced Jesus, and they believed in Jesus, but there was no formal kind of Christian thing. So what they called it, they called it the way. That was the name for it. There was no word. And the way meant to be the way of Jesus, the way of this dude that just lived. And maybe you're, maybe you're exploring faith today. This is, that's a key part for you. I would encourage you, just pick up Acts and read this chapter. Because historically there's a lot of maybe questions you may have about church or about God but one thing you can't ignore and this is even from a secular perspective you can't ignore Jesus as a historical figure it's pretty easy to see he's the most transformative historical figure in history even from a secular perspective we've got to from history deal with this dude what do we do with him and when you when you interpret the Bible You've got, to, you've got to go, wow, there were people who gave their life for this person that they experienced. And you go, well, yeah, a lot of people give their lives for, for, for stuff, you know, that, that's dumb. Well, nobody gives their life for something they think is a lie. So if all the stuff in the Bible was made up, why would they give their lives for something that was made up? You don't. You only give your lives for something you believe is true. Well, we know from history that Jesus, the risen Jesus, after he'd raised from the dead, he revealed himself to at least 500 people. So those people are giving their lives for the way. And Saul is not happy about it. So he's looking for people that he might imprison them. He neared Damascus on his journey. Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. I love that. Can I just take a little rabbit trail right here? This is not in my message. This is free, okay? It's not my message. Per- I love what Jesus says right there. Why are you persecuting me? Paul wasn't persecuting Jesus. Paul was persecuting Jesus' people. Do you know when you're persecuted for Jesus' sake, he takes it personally? Jesus didn't come up to Paul and go, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting all my people? He said, why are you persecuting me? Because when you entrust your life with Jesus, you're not on your own anymore. (laughs) Your life, what Romans says, you've been buried with Christ and you've been raised to newness of life in Christ. What Ephesians says, you are hidden with God. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. That's where you are and Jesus takes it personally when people pick on you. <laughs> I am Jesus whom you're persecuting you replied, "Now get up, go into the city and you'll be told what you must do." Now, I wish I could really have the time to unpack this. This is a dude who's so zealous against Jesus that he's killing people who believe in Jesus but this experience is so profound that everything he had spent his entire life building he decides to turn in transition in this moment and because the biblical writers just they speak on a need-to-know basis they just like blaze through stuff. you got to use your imagination a bit. We know if we keep reading in Acts 9, I encourage you to do that. The, the light that shone around him was Jesus himself. And the reason Saul didn't see at first or, or in the end Jesus is because the light blinded him. So he sees Jesus. He gets blinded. But the other thing the word says is he was on the ground. You know, one of the things about transition is you generally hit rock bottom. I find people in church all the time and I'm like, what led you here? What led you to come to Ramp Church? And They said, well, there was a situation and I didn't know what to do. And then there was this other situation. Then I just kind of hit rock bottom. Have you ever heard anybody say that? I just wish people would, would choose rock bottom before they hit rock bottom. You know, one of the gifts of transition is that it helps you see what I'm unable to do. You need to embrace that as a gift. Some of you are shaming yourself because of your own inabilities. You need to realize there's a gift sometimes for you to be able to see, I can't do this on my own. That should turn your heart heavenward. Are you hearing me? That should turn our heart heavenward. That's a gift of transition. Jesus says, get up, go into the city, you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Because Jesus revealed himself only To Saul, Saul got up from the ground. When he'd opened his eyes, he could see nothing. Sounds like transition. Your eyes may be open, but you ain't seeing nothing. If you've been in transition, you know what I'm talking about. It's hazy. It's disorienting. I'm not sure what's around me. That's what's happening to Saul. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Here's a dude that's so confident about what he believes he's killing people. And now he's having to be led by the hand. Oh, please leave me. I don't know where I'm going. That's transition. It's going to force you to rely on things you've never relied on before. I'm just giving you little little tidbits here. And then we're going to dive into some teaching in a second. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. For three days... He was blind. I wish I could preach about how that is a type and a shadow of Jesus' own death, burial, and resurrection. And resurrection was coming for him, and how your own transitions are that same thing. That'll wait for another day. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. It's amazing because now we find out the vision was more than Jesus. He also saw in the vision Ananias coming to him and praying for him and praying for him to be healed. It was an open vision and he saw many things. We don't know what else Paul saw, but I'm wondering how much he saw that's written in this word. Another teaching. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. Don't be confused if in transition people are unsure about who you, who you really are. Sometimes when you're moving from one reality to another reality, you're You're misunderstood. Because God's wanting to equip you for a new season. He's wanting to even allow you to see yourself in a new way. He's unearthing, perhaps, some of you that you've never experienced before. And through that process, it's going to affect relationships, the way that people see you. That's where Paul is. People around him, are he's making the transition. They haven't made the transition yet. They're praying like, Lord, are you sure that you want me to go there? But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he he must suffer for my name. Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Then Saul spent many days um, with the believers in Damascus. Then he moves to Jerusalem. Then they send him back to Tarsus. And then verse 31 says this. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace and was strengthened. This is the end of the transition. They've transitioned. Living in the fear of the Lord and encouraged by the Holy Spirit, it increased in numbers. So I'm going to refer back to that story a bit. Thank you for your endurance as we read many, many verses. And hopefully the next part of this is going to unpack transition for you. So, let's talk about the five stages of transition. You ready? All right. Stage one: settled, settled, uh, settled is your. This next slide, it's your old normal. That's what settled means. It's it's where things are predictable. You have a routine. You feel you have purpose. You have a sense of belonging that's maybe march 2020 it's been a while since we've been settled train international um describes this this stage like this we're in a place where the land is solid beneath our feet it's a phase of life that is known to us predictable comfortable familiar we have a place that we call home a routine a defined role a sense of purpose and a relationship with those around us we know quote the rules of the game We probably feel stable, secure, peaceful, but we may also feel bored, complacent, restless, or stuck. It's a predictable place. It's comfortable. It's normal. It's routine. Uh, I was speaking with a young adult in in Ramp Church not too long ago. And they were telling about their transition, uh, not just to Ramp Church, but to Manchester. And they, they began, the reason they're in Manchester is because they began to ask God... Where, where am I supposed to be? Where's my next place uh, that I'm supposed to go? And Manchester had never been on their radar. And I know the feeling. Manchester had never been on their radar. And God says, go to Manchester, move to Manchester. And so I was, I was asking questions, you know, kind of unpack this journey a bit. And this is what they said. I, I, I feel like where I, where I lived, I was just a bit too comfortable. What, what is that? That's the place where we're settled in comfort. And nothing around us particularly puts pressure. We're in a pretty settled routine. I'm, I'm in my life rhythm. My my friend group is strong. Some of you are like, I've never been that place in my life. <laughs> there is a place called settled. And if you've never been there, then I want to pray for you to find that place. Because there is joy in that place. There is a beauty in that place. There is a, There is there is fulfillment and fruitfulness in that place. Ultimately, God called Israel in the story of Israel to a promised land, a place of peace and refreshing and wholeness. Uh, we, it's okay to be there, but staying there without being challenged is not really an option for believers, for people who are following God on a journey because God's up to something in the earth. And if, if I'm never inconvenienced by what he's up to, I probably haven't joined him in what he's up to. Because his path will always, always, always include inconvenience. It's not because he's some weird, like, like narcissistic being that just likes to see people punish themselves for his sake. That's not it. It's because it's good for you to be inconvenienced. Remember Stacy's gym story earlier. <laughs> Why don't we go to the gym? It's inconvenient. It's painful. I don't like it. It's good for us to be inconvenienced, though. It's the way we're wired. So God's path, the best path for you and for me, includes inconvenient. So settled is my old normal. Um, The way I remember the five stages of transition is, is using my hand. One, two, three, four, five. And so stage one, thumbs up, all's good, right? Life is good, bro. Let's do this. So what do you do if you're in this stage Because, again, it's an okay stage, but you shouldn't live forever in this stage. Keep growing. What do I want to do? If you're in a settled place, here's what I want you to do. I want you to grow out of it. That's what I want you to do. If you don't feel inconvenienced, if you feel comfortable, there's such a routine that you are so sunk down deep in, grow out of that place. You force a move. Force a transition, become bigger than the place you are. This is what happened to Israel when they were in Egypt. They grew as a people to the place that actually their enemies looked at them and went, Whoa, they're so big. If we don't make them think that they're bigger than us, or that they're small and they're slaves, if we don't change their mindset, they're going to take over. So then they imprisoned them. But all along, Israel had outgrown Egypt. They could have taken over. That's the place where you're settled. What I want you to do if you're in a settled place, keep growing. Grow out of that place. And if you keep growing, you're going to find yourself in stage two. You're going to be unsettled. Unsettled. This is what marks the unsettled season to me. It's this. It is this vibe right here. This next one. This next slide. It is this vibe. Things look the same, but they feel different. You ever been there? things around me nothing's changed I'm just entering transition nothing's changed but something feels it's just different I'm just not satisfied here I like to I, this is the, the way I like to call this season this next slide right here this is I'm discontent but I'm dreaming this is when you started to outgrow the place you are but God's not not ready yet to transition you to the new place but you start to grow discontent with that place And that starts in you a dreaming phase about what's possible. Here's what Training International says about this. Unsettled usually begins when we encounter an inciting event or a decision. That event might look like graduation from high school or college being fired or let go from a job, the giving of an engagement ring. Hello. Y'all single folks did not rejoice on that point. You're in the next phase. You're in the next phase. I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't gotten that stage yet. Uh, The giving of an engagement ring, a pregnancy test, coming back positive, the sudden death of a spouse or a natural disaster. Or it may start with an inciting decision. We found that our job and our personal values no longer match, which moves us to turn in our resignation or maybe we become convicted that we're called to live and serve overseas or we may come to the breaking point in in a toxic relationship. Behind each of these is a rising discontent that propels us through this transition bridge you're unsettled you're not satisfied what used to feel comfortable what used to feel satisfying what used to uh, just resonate in your own identity and like yes I belong here something in you is discontent what even used to bring you pleasure it's not pleasurable anymore what are you on you're on you're on the transition bridge I'm here to just let you know that's what's happening. If that's what you feel, that's where you are. I'm discontent, but I'm dreaming. I remember speaking to, um, not too long ago, a man in his 60s who was very successful. He was an executive at a company. I was speaking to him about his journey, his career journey. And I was asking him, you know, tell me about kind of what, what happened. And he said he had, throughout his journey, considered four or five major career changes. And I'm thinking, man, where you are in your life, surely you've just been on this path for like the past 50 years, and it's like, you know, glory to glory, strength to strength, faith to faith, right? And then I looked up a study uh, by London Business School that almost half of the people in the UK right now are considering a major career change within the next two years. We're people that actually we feel this sense of discontent sometimes. I, we don't like transition. We don't like the chaos involved in transition. But you don't really like staying where you are either. Come on, be honest. You don't like stagnant, because you're hardwired for change. You're hardwired for growth. You're hardwired for maturity. You're hardwired for hard things. I want you to. Be, I want you to leave here today believing I can. I can conquer this transition because God's called me to a new place. That is what unsettled is about. It's about being discontent but dreaming dreaming and that's uh if this is hey all good this this next one it's number one and it is it is look over there that's what i'm dreaming of but you better be careful because that that finger pointing in the in the unsettled phase stage you can also start to blame other people for your unsettledness when it's not really them who's changed it's you y'all didn't amen enough on that point right there you're ready to move to a new to a new job, you're discontent about it, and you're blaming everybody else. Well, my boss, he just has never he's never done that. And you used to love him two years ago. Moving churches, like, oh my gosh, my pastor never I mean, he's never done that. Does that make sense? Ram Church, your pastor has never preached like Stephen Furtick. I'm sorry. He never has. My pastor just doesn't preach, he just doesn't preach like Stephen Furtick. I never have and I never will. Sorry to of disappoint. So if you're, leaving about, if you're leaving because of that now, you never would have come in the first place. I haven't changed. You have. Your discontent. It's your discontent, but it's not all bad. Don't make it negative. Don't make it negative. You've outgrown me. Can I say that? You've outgrown me. You have other things. You have bigger things. You've outgrown that job. You haven't outgrown that marriage. Sorry. <laughs> I can feel the thoughts coming at me. I can feel the thoughts coming at me. You have not outgrown that marriage. That's not how it works, folks. Because growth in marriage always looks like deeper commitment. Oh, it, uh, because deeper love, more mature love, always looks like the ability to cover a fault not expose a fault. Are you with me? It doesn't mean we, we don't work toward reconciliation. Of course we do. It doesn't mean we ignore the faults. No, it just means we learn as we grow deeper into commitment. But this the second stage, the finger pointing, let it be about dreaming and not pointing at other people. Come on. Come on, Ramp Church. Yeah, that deserves a clap. Come on. Deserves a clap. Drop an emoji right there in the chat if you're watching online. Number two, unsettled. Unsettled. What do you do if you're in stage two? This is what you do right here. What do you do? Keep dreaming. Let your dreams become bigger than your discontent. Let your dreams become bigger than your discontent. When you start to dream about the future, all of a sudden the, the discomfort or the fear about moving from the safe place, it becomes small because your imagination is filled with the possibilities of what's ahead. Do you hear me stage one you're settled it's your old normal stage 2 you're unsettled stage 3 ah, ah, chaos chaos ensues this is the feeling in stage 3 I, the, the truth is if you're in stage 3 you don't even need you don't need these slides you're like oh yes Lord I can preach this part I can preach this point I have no idea where I'm going That's stage three. That's chaos. I have no idea where I'm going. Life's hazy. Train International says it like this. We look down and see we're in the middle of this swinging bridge. They're thinking like the the transition bridge, it's like a swinging bridge across a ravine. And you're like swinging like, well, here we are. Suspended over a chasm of swirling confusion and ambiguity. I just encourage you with that. This stage begins with chaos when we actually leave our place of comfort. But it ends at acceptance. Come on, you're not staying in stage three. You're not staying in chaos, but you have to go through chaos to get to stage three. When we make the conscious decision to settle into the new place, and there can be a huge chasm in between those two that seems like an impossible gap called the liminal space. I wish I could teach on that too. The neutral zone was described by William Bridges. As, quote, an in between time when the old is gone, but the new isn't fully operational. You know what I'm talking about? It is the time between the old reality and sense of identity and the new one. You're in the middle. You, you, you've let go of where you were, but you haven't laid hold of where you're going. You feel placeless, you feel identityless. You feel foggy, purposeless, there's a haze, you lose sight of priorities, frustration, have I mentioned frustration? <laughs> Troubled, disoriented, unstable, maybe even confused. When we moved to the UK, we we spent a season in Scotland working with a charity there, an incredible charity called Stella's Voice, who works with, does orphan care in Eastern Europe. And so we were moving there to work with them and when we first moved, we lived in like this tiny little flat that didn't, it, it didn't have, no, it had one bedroom, didn't it? Five, family of five. And so we were sleeping everywhere. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like a studio with one bedroom. That's kind of what it was like. And all of us are living there and we have kind of stuff, you know, we're living out of bags and and we're just getting settled in. And um, it, was, it was tough. We were definitely in chaos. It was not just like emotionally in every way. <laughs> Like, that's what it's like. It's like, what am I doing, and why did I do this? I did this to myself. (laughs) This is actually what you think. It's this next slide right (laughs) What in the world was I thinking? Why did I leave? Why did I leave there? And in the middle of that, we're trying to get our kids in their new school, and and one of our daughters, she is trying to get dressed, and she's half-dressed, and she's in the floor kicking and screaming, yelling, I hate Scotland. And I could not look at her and reprimand her because all of us hated Scotland at that moment. All we could do is say, that's how we all feel, hon. That's how we all feel. We hate this place. (laughs) Down deep, we hate this place. That's chaos. You are in the chaos phase, folks. You are in the chaos phase. What in the world was I thinking? Why did I leave that place? I was comfortable. This is when the romantic visions of what you had start to appear in your mind. You forget all the, tr- all the struggle, you forget the, 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 the flaws that people had in that world, you forget the inconsistencies, you forget the lack of commitment that people had to you. You, you. you remember your old pastor as if he did preach like Stephen Furtick? Come on, that's, we romanticize it. You remember that old boyfriend like, man, no, he, he, he wasn't that bad. He wasn't that, I mean, he did miss my birthday a couple, couple years in a row, but I mean, every other day is pretty good. I mean, we romanticize it. We, we downplay the weaknesses and we, we magnify the beauty of that season. And it's not be, it, it's, it has nothing to do with that season. It's because in our hearts, we're longing for that sense of comfort and belonging and purpose again. And you're in the in-between. What in the world was I thinking? What do you do in that phase? Don't stop. You just keep going. That's the only thing you can do. It's the only thing you can do. I, I love uh, Ray, what Ray Hughes, I've heard Ray Hughes say this so, uh, so many times. He says, you can, you, you can get through hell with a water pistol if you just don't stop. <laughs> psh, 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 psh. Just don't stop. Psh, 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 you stop. It's bad news, but just keep going. <laughs> just keep going. Just keep shooting that water pistol and keep walking. Don't stop. Because the thing about chaos is it's, it's not as much what's happening in and around you. It's just a place. It's a location that you leave. Are you hearing me? And God is doing something in you that only chaos can allow him to do. Because if we, we, we could spend a, a year unpacking some of these thoughts, but you've wrapped your identity around things that you shouldn't identify yourself as. It was connected to a person, a relationship, a community, a job, a career path. And it's only chaos that you get desperate enough to let it go. It's only chaos that forces you into that place. And until you get there, God knows they won't let go. Chaos has massive purpose. But do you know the other thing about chaos is that's where the Holy Spirit is. Do you remember Genesis chapter 1? God, before God spoke creation into being, where was the Holy Spirit hovering? Above the chaos. He was hovering. Do you know where the Holy Spirit's hovering right now? He's above your chaos. He's like a conductor and he's orchestrating every lie. And you don't understand, but let me tell you, you don't need to understand. And in fact, if you did, you would probably circumvent the process that God's on about anyway inside of your heart. Your season of chaos requires you to submit your understanding. Are you hearing me? That's one of the first things that needs to go. That desire for clarity, that desire for understanding. And what do you do? You just get on your knees and you cry out. And it brings you to, to Saul's place, to, to the ground, to ground zero. This is why we pray and fast. Do you know what pray, prayer and fasting is? It's a choice to hit ground, to, to, to hit rock bottom before you hit rock bottom. That's what prayer and fasting is. You're putting yourself in a desperate in a desperate place before I actually hit a desperate place. Do you know that through prayer and fasting, you can just continue that cycle of transition and growth because you're choosing to be in a desperate place? Oh, there's too many rabbit trails here, guys. This should be a series. Number 3, chaos. Number 4, stage 4. After chaos, you start entering the new place. Entering the new place you've, you've made it through hell with the water pistol and you still feel the heat on your back but you're entering a new place here's what Train International says about this we can see the land on the other side of the bridge and it maybe looks promising the bridge doesn't feel quite so precarious and our knuckles are no longer white from gra- grabbing so tightly to the side of the bridge we entered into beginnings As we take the tentative, shaky first steps of settling in to this new stage, we find new routines and rhythms. We begin to know the places to go, the people who can help us, and start to reach out to others and take some risks. Hopefully, we begin to make new friends and try out new roles as we feel out this part of exploration. Sometimes those work out, and sometimes we feel like an idiot. Come on, let's just get honest. I remember when we first moved to the U.K., and I'm like having to ask other grown adults, how do I open up a bank account? Like, you know, I did this when I was 13, but I'm just curious, you know, now that I'm nearly 40. <laughs> just not sure how to do that. They're like, yeah, I, I can help you with that. You, you said you're going to start a church. <laughs> uh. We make mistakes and missteps. We can feel lonely and overwhelmed. We really begin to grieve the losses of what was back on the other side of the bridge. We probably have a mix of hope, a sense of accomplishment, exhaustion, exhaustion, whew, a newfound set of skills, and relief. Do you see the mixture? It feels like we've begun to know adaptation. And this is the feeling the feeling is, this next slide, the feeling is everything feels so foreign. That's the next slide. It's just everything around you. It's like every tiny little thing about this new season feels so foreign. It takes so much intentionality just to be here. Some of you, you're new to Ramp Church. Maybe you've been coming for a couple weeks, and you have that feeling right now. You're like, why do they set the chairs up like that? Like, you know, whatever. Why do they do the coffee? That's not, I don't understand. You know what? And there's like, this, there's like this mixture of, I would do it a different way, but also, hmm, maybe there are ways better. You know, it's, it's like that kind of a, but that can happen in any way of life. It's the, you're entering into a new season. That can happen spiritually, can happen naturally, it can happen in your career, can happen relationally. You're entering into a new place. What do you do in that season? Keep learning. You've got to have the learning cap on. God is wanting to teach you something new. You've got to hear that because if you treat the new season like the old season you're gonna turn the new season into the old season it's what it's what my friend James a always says God took Israel out of Egypt to get Egypt out of Israel because if Israel went back into the promised land and still had Egypt on the inside of them they just turn Israel into Egypt But if you can allow chaos to get Egypt out of you, you'll then go into the new season a different person. Because what makes the new season a better place than the old season is a different you. Are you hearing me? And the only thing that can process a different you is chaos. And you have got to let that have its full work so that when you start to enter the new land, you're ready to learn. You're ready to learn. I had to figure out how to speak English when I moved here. And you guys are like, you still don't know. I know, I'm trying. I'm trying. Entering is about learning. And then you get to step five, where you're resettled. It's, it, is, it is the new normal. You're resettled in your new normal. Finally, we reach the other side. We have our feet back on solid ground. We have a new normal along with routines, defined roles, solid relationships, new skills, settled identity. We feel calm, secure, reflective, wise, and confident. Although we may also experience disappointment that this new phase or place is not what we expected, overall, we feel like we belong. What do I do in this phase? Keep growing keep giving. One of the things about chaos, if, if, if we don't treat it properly, when you, when you resettle, you'll feel so marked deeply by the loss, the things you've lost, that you'll actually stop growing and stop giving. Because all you can remember are the scars of the things you lost in chaos. But you've got to let your mind fill with the dreams that you dreamed in the second season of getting unsettled that's why God gives you dreams at that phase it hasn't cost you anything yet so you can dream freely do you remember what it's like to dream some of you it's been so long it's been a long time since you're just in survival mode just set up camp and settled and never dreamed you need to remember you need to pull out some of those dreams the reason God gives you dreams is because dreams will be the only thing that will carry you through chaos Often what happens in chaos if we haven't let the dreams go deep is we turn around and go back. You go back to the old relationship. You go back to the old job. You go back to the old community. Why? Because you didn't let the dreams get big enough to carry you through chaos. But if your dreams are big enough, you'll resettle in the land and you'll be willing to give and grow. Ben, would you go ahead and come up, and we're going to pray together. We're going to end this season, this message, praying together. I didn't, um, I didn't finish my my hand metaphor. I think you know where this is going, right? Stage one, stage two. I'm not doing the stage three, guys. But I think you know where I'm going with stage three, right? Chaos? Are you guys awake? Please don't make me be crude. But the, but the thing about stage three is it's not just about feeling terrible about life, which it is, but it's also about reaching further. It's about continuing, keeping going. Don't stop, reach further. But you know the thing about stage four, re entering? A, it's a covenant stage. At stage four, when you re-enter a new place, it's so unfamiliar that the only thing that will keep you moving forward is your covenant, your commitment to stay the course and be the be in the place that God's called you to be. That's the only thing that's going to keep you moving forward. You're going to remember the dreams, and no longer they're no longer dreams anymore. You're making a covenant with the dreams that God's given you. Are you hearing me? You can go ahead and play, guys. That's 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 stage four. And stage five, I like to call that little fingers up. Because life is good. I, I am settled. I am loving it. This is the life God has promised me. Anybody ready to get there? Anybody ready to get there?